You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. to see you all this week. This list is our last week. If you're just jumping in, you're jumping in at kind of the end of a journey, but nevertheless, you're jumping in. You're welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we are in the last week of our study in the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. We have gone for the last, what, like 30 weeks? It's, been, it's felt like a long time. It's only been like six weeks. Verse by verse through this amazing letter. And I've heard from so many of you as you've had those scripture journals that we've been reading together, taking notes, saying, Lord, speak to me through this letter. I know you're writing this to me too. I'm part of your church. About what it means to become who we are. The church, your bride, the body of Christ on earth, his presence. And you notice how we've been saying this throughout the entire letter. Not, look, Christians, get your stuff together so that you can become the church. No, it's been the other way around for Paul, right? You are the church. Be yourself. Do you know who you are? This has been our experience with Paul. And it's been really uh, life-giving to me. And I've heard from so many of you that it's been life-giving to you as well. Well, in these last chapters that we've been looking at, Paul has moved from the beautiful vision of the church into the very concrete realities that anchor us in the life of the church as Christians. The concrete reality that shapes our life together, the way that you and I relate to one another has to be retaught because the way we've been taught in the world is a totally different way, a totally different norm, a totally different status quo. Not so in the church. Paul invites us into a different way of life that we've been studying in these last chapters. But Paul doesn't allow us to, in this whole view of the church, if we look at the whole letter, at the very end of this thing, he doesn't allow us to escape into like some religious idealism where everything's super sweet and awesome and Christians are nice and the church just works and everybody's like, okay, right? You're okay, I'm okay. He doesn't allow us to escape from the truth, the reality of the church and where it finds itself. The church in this last section is this body of resistance against a demonic, a darkened world that wants to see it destroyed. And I don't mean it, I think, probably in some of the pop culture ways that you've heard that. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. But this present darkness that we find ourselves in, Paul says, don't fool yourselves. To be the church in an age like this, in this present darkness, is going to be in conflict. There's going to be a cost. To be the church, in other words, is never really to be comfortable, but always to be in conflict. Man, we almost got out of this letter on a high, right? We were like on our way out. Things were looking good. Here, Paul plants our feet in reality again. Does God want to bring about reconciliation in the world? Does God want to restore life? Does God want to heal broken people and forgive the burdened and the shamed? Does he want to do that? Yes, of course he does. Then the enemy is determined to divide, to tear down, to kill, to injure, and to shame. That's just the way it works. The enemy is, by definition, opposed to the way of God and his work. And so as a Christian in the church, our life is characterized by this conflict. We exist in this conflict. Don't fool yourselves. But so many read this 
call to arms that Paul has, this kind of armor of God, uh, this rally cry in scripture, they read this and they go, sweet, I'm in. Who are we going after? What people? Let me loose. Who is the church going to be angry at this week? Let's go get them. So many times the church has used these passages to be militant and totally miss the point of what Paul is saying. They have put human beings in their crosshairs as the the personification of this present darkness, this, this age that we have to fight. We've turned against other people. And I know that as we read this, we'll have that tendency to think of those people, whoever they may be for you, that we perceive that this battle is against. But to do so would be to make this battle about the enemies of flesh and blood. But Paul could not be more clear that this is not what this is about. In verse 10, if I can just jump right in, he tells the church to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This charge to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might isn't aimed that we can unleash this strength and this might on people. Next, he says to take up the whole armor of God, which isn't to prepare us to take take the fight to this or that political party, this or that ideology, other world religions, certain nations, certain presidents, certain skin colors, other groups of people. This strength and this might that the Lord gives to us, this armor of God is not to be dispensed on the people that we dislike. And I know I'm like beating a dead horse for some of y'all, but I just think that needs to be said. Because too often the church has been unfaithful with its reading and lost its way because of this passage that's calling us to be vigilant. This isn't about them, Paul says, but about the schemes of the devil in verse 11. What are, then, we can ask, the schemes of the devil? What is the devil up to? What are his tactics? What's his, what's his method? How does he operate? Well, um, fortunately, our church has a pretty extensive history. There's probably not a more experienced group of people in the schemes of the devil than the church itself. And so it's super, super helpful. And you'll often hear me quoting the early church because we have folks who've been doing this for quite a long time who have seen quite a bit of history and our collective understanding about the schemes of the devil have been kind of helpful. Listen to John Chrysostom talk about this, an early church father. He says, the devil's schemes consist in trying to capture us by some shortcut and always by deceit. The devil never openly lays temptation before us. He does not mention idolatry out loud, but by his stratagems, he presents idolatrous choices to us by persuasive words and by employing clever euphemisms. It's always more subtle, isn't it? You don't wake up in the morning and go, I'm gonna be an idolater today. No, it's way more subtle, but maybe you do. If you do, don't do that, that's ridiculous. It's way more subtle than that. Notice, though, how that darkness that Paul speaks about isn't just out there, but this this kind of smuggled-in darkness that actually enters into our lives. We get co-opted. We are the ones who participate and cooperate with this darkness that gets smuggled into our lives, oftentimes unnoticed, totally unnoticed, 
It's in the everyday life of the Christian that this, begat, this, this battle actually takes place and begins. That fight that we think is with those people and out there, you'd be surprised, folks. It's actually not out there so much as it is even in here and within you. If there is someone who is an enemy of God outside of the devil and his friends, so often, friends, haven't we participated in obstructing the ways of God? Maybe that enemy, maybe that fight is within ourselves. And the choices we make, especially those choices under pressure, when we're not our best, when we haven't been well rested, those choices we make when we think no one's paying attention, when no one's looking, those choices that we make then, that's where this battle is being waged. The choices we make under a great deal of shame in our lives, the choices we make when we are pressed from every side, it seems like, under temptation. How successful this strategy is by the enemy, right? To get us when we are weakest. How successful this can be to convincing God people, uh, God's people that this isn't really about some demonic force that Sean says or the Bible says exists. No, that stuff doesn't exist. Just be yourself. That's one of the most successful tactics I think that the enemy gives us is convincing us that he doesn't exist and those forces aren't out there. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You notice a few things about this. Besides the fact that he's acknowledging that this kind of evil actually exists, he kind of lays out this isn't just like a pickup basketball game. This isn't a light deal. These are cosmic forces. It's not intramural spiritual sports. If you're into that kind of thing, you can opt in as a Christian and sign up over the weekend. It is way worse than a bar fight if you've ever been in one of those. I've not been in one of those. Paul is reaching for something that is a lot more brutal, a lot more cosmic, a fight that is a kind of knockdown, drag out brawl for the souls of the earth, for you, for me, against the forces of darkness, the devil, and all who cooperate with him. Anyone who comes against God and his people, these are the enemies that Paul's describing here, and they do exist, and it's nasty. And I think, honestly, as like probably middle class, lower upper middle class, middle like Austin, Texas kind of folks who depend a lot on our paychecks and our food trucks and our live music and our social media, we often surround ourselves with this diet in which we're like, we're good and things are generally okay. And so it's a little bit of a reach for us as long as we've got most of our creature comforts to even acknowledge that this kind of thing is happening. But is it possible, is it possible that though we have had this ecosystem of comfort in our lives, that we're being fooled or tricked or kind of lulled to sleep, not vigilant about the forces that are actually like contending on the earth that involve us? Is it possible that we're being sidelined in our comforts? I think when we, if we're honest with ourselves and we look at what Paul's getting at and we read scripture, we see a different reality at play that we can sober up to. But let me be clear, Paul doesn't mention the devil and evil and these spiritual forces so that we can get obsessed with them and like go and study them and try and figure out exactly how this works. He doesn't want us to get curious about evil 
or the schemes of the enemy or the secret strategies that are behind the scenes that no one really knows about, or maybe some people know about and the people that are involved. That's not why Paul mentions this. You notice how little detail he actually gives about this, this darkness. He just says, it's a darkness. Leave it at that. That's all you really need to know. You'd be missing the point if you go and obsess in that direction. In fact, part of that lure of that darkness, what's, what's there? What's there? Part of that lure of darkness is to entertain us, which is sinful and self-serving. Out of this curiosity, like, ooh, I want to know more because that's kind of interesting. You're totally missing the point. Don't take the bait on that. Isn't that the way all sin works? At first glance, ooh, interesting. And then before you know it, you're caught up in habits and a way of life that are killing you. We're not called to be fascinated or entertained by the existence of evil, but to participate in its defeat. We are not called to be fascinated or entertained by the existence of evil, but to participate in its defeat. Are we supposed to be afraid of this? Does Paul give us these words so that we lose sleep at night? No, simply because Paul, uh, Paul has even made this point in just a second, I'll show you here, that the power of God is stronger than all of the forces of evil out there. Do we have to be afraid? No. Should we be vigilant? Yes, absolutely. This is the power that we speak of, the power of God that is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, who already defeated the demonic forces on the earth. On its home turf, Jesus took the fight to them, descended into hell, and defeated the demonic forces. There is not a darkness, there is not an evil, there is not a power that Jesus has not overcome still. The fight has been won. It's the same power that has enthroned Jesus at the right hand of God the Father to oversee the entire human history and everywhere that it's headed towards the goodwill and purpose of God. Interestingly, Paul uses the same three words here in verse 10 in chapter 6, as he does in chapter 1, verse 19, when he speaks of the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the work of his great might that Jesus, raised, that Jesus was raised from the dead with. That power, that might, that immeasurable greatness. That is the same power and might and immeasurable strength and greatness that the church is given to overcome evil even today. That same power. And even though Jesus fights for us and has defeated the enemy and has already won, the enemy, though it has, not, has, has been overcome, has not conceded that defeat and still keeps swinging as if it has some fight left in it. It has not conceded defeat and it has not been destroyed. And so we're in this really bizarre time in which the battle has been won, but the enemy has not conceded and still consistently harasses God's purposes on the earth. So now, in that time, in that space, we as the church are called to find strength in the Lord, to be a people enabled and empowered by God's power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The church is called to be empowered by that spirit of God and to cooperate with the purposes of God. You hear that combo? This is super critical. This is important. Divine enabling, divine empowerment. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is available to the church. Church, take up that power. It's yours. 
You've been enabled by the Lord himself on the one hand. And on the other hand, you've got to cooperate. You've actually got to engage. You've got to take up that power that God has given us. Notice these verbs is what come into play in verse 13, to take up and to stand firm. This is how we cooperate with that power that's available to us. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Truth around your, uh, around your waist, Paul describes the armor of God, the belt of truth, righteousness over your chest, shoes that help you run with the news of Jesus into the world. Good shoes, right? I mean, make them look nice if you can. Guard yourself with faith, faith against the flaming arrows of the devil. Be sure that there will be attacks. There this won't be without friction. There will be opposition. Guard yourself with faith against the flaming arrows of the devil. Cover your head with salvation. The salvation that Jesus, our Lord, has won for us. And let the Spirit fight for you from the word of God written. In other words, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. These aren't just ideas for Christians to like paint on their walls or frame in their homes and say like, welcome to our home. Look at all these values that we have. Those aren't, it's not that kind of thing that we dust off when we really need them. They're not just ideas, but they're actually tools, weapons, ways of life that need to be applied to our lives. We actually have to decide to engage those, to take those up and to unleash them in our lives. Take them up, put them to work. Before the service, there's a lot that goes on. But in the back behind these like Wizard of Oz curtains, we vest, I put on like all nine layers of things here. And we pray, the acolytes, they vest, they pray. They have a whole prayer that's printed there for them as they prepare to help us lead you in worship. And the celebrating priest or the celebrant, the person wearing the holy poncho here, has all of these wonderful, they're called vesting prayers in the back. And it's so helpful, actually. And each article of clothing, there's a lot I could show you in here. Each article of clothing calls for a prayer of protection or divine enabling, empowerment. And my cooperation, Lord, help me cooperate with what you're doing. And these articles of clothing actually take a strong cue from the armor of God that we find in scripture. It's really interesting. If you could all be back there with me, I'd show you. But I wanted to pull a little bit out and just show you. There's a thing on here way, way in the back. One of the first things I put on that I actually put over my head, it's called an amis. I wrap it around my waist and I tie it in the front. You kind of, you get the sense like, oh, that is like a Levitical priesthood look. Like that's this ancient priesthood thing that's going on. It's this amis that I put over my head. And while I'm putting this over my head, I pray, place upon me, O Lord, the helmet of salvation that I may overcome the assaults of the devil. And, what's, and it's so helpful. People say, what's the most helpful thing you do as a, as a priest? Like you pray these vesting prayers because you go from setting up chairs to trying to lead people in worship and everything goes wrong all the time. But if you can just find some quiet time and say, Lord, help me, and put on the armor of God, literally, it's a game changer. But these prayers aren't just for priests to tuck away, tucked away behind some secret back room getting ready. These kinds of prayers are available to all of us to take up. Find, for instance, a moment in your day in the morning, maybe when you're washing your hands, to remember your baptism to wash away the shame that may be residual in your life. I belong to Jesus. He's washed me by his blood. 
Maybe when you're brushing your teeth. Maybe that's your belt of truth. These spaces where you could say, what comes out of this mouth, Lord, let it be honoring to you. May it glorify you. When you're eating breakfast, when you're getting your kids out, when you're changing diapers, when you start the car, find these places that you can apply as the armor of God in your daily liturgy, your daily ritual. That you would be vigilant. You can hook in these truths into your everyday life. That you would be aware that there is a day ahead of you that you need some divine enabling and protection for. And you genuinely want to cooperate with God's good purposes in your life. It's super simple. Find those times. Maybe it's coffee. I know we all drink coffee. Find something that we can attach this armor of God to and posture ourselves to keep alert, as verse 18 says, to remind ourselves that we are children of God, beloved children of God. We are the ambassador of the good news of Jesus going into the world, telling our coworkers and our friends and our neighbors, not only with our lips, but with our lives, who Jesus is and where history is heading under his reign and rule. And finally, verse 18, Paul concludes, he lands uh, this thought for us saying, and by the way, as you put on the armor of God, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. If all of this doesn't result in a people who pray, who speak to God saying, God, we need your help. We need you to pour out your spirit. Be with me today, Lord. I've I've got a long, hard day be a people who pray. If we don't pray, to be honest, and let, we can just be honest, sometimes I find myself in seasons where I'm like, my prayer life stinks, and I'm a priest. What's up with that? There was a day, there was something that happened the other day that I was like, wow, there is a God. And I thought, Sean, have you been an atheist this whole time? When you look at whether or not you're praying, it's actually a super helpful indicator of whether or not you really believe that God's listening to you and whether or not he is available to you and wants to give his power to you. If you don't pray, I wouldn't question like, well, why don't you pray? I would question, do you believe that God has good things for you? My goodness. He wants to release the entire arsenal of heaven for you. Pray. And pray in the spirit. So often we start with our laundry list of like, here's what I need, God. Can I challenge you? Don't start that way. First, and honestly, take a cue from our entire liturgy or any prayer that's here. You'll know that we acknowledge God. God, here's who you are. You're the God who did this. Would you, through the power of your spirit, would you do that for me today? A great way to stay, to start is to say, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to pray today. Would you help me? Teach me what to pray. Pray for your brothers and sisters in this church, the people who are sitting right next to you. Pray for them constantly. The struggle is real and we need God's power to fight for us and we need to wake up to the fact that as the saints, we have to intercede for one another in the power of the spirit. May God make us, friends, and all that we've learned in Ephesians, a church that engages the fight in prayer, a people who contend for one another, for the good purposes of God, not only in our life, but in the neighborhood for the sake of others, would be, be those kinds of people who pray and who fight and take up all of the riches that God has given his church that we've learned in all of these chapters. We gotta take all that up and become who we are as God's church. And can you imagine, everybody look at me, can you imagine, hold on a second, it's not in the preaching notes, but I see something here. Can you imagine a church who takes up the wealth of heaven? 
and intercedes for others that don't even know that they're being prayed for. Can you imagine a church who cooperates with God in South Austin, what that would be, what that would look like? How the goodness of God would pour into the streets, how people would be blessed. Can you imagine the people whose lives would be changed because of that, starting with our own? You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.